turn to Psalm 142. start here with our summary statement. Psalm 142 looks forward to deliverance. Leading to praising Yahweh's name. In the congregation of the righteous. Go over that one more time. Psalm 142 looks forward to deliverance, leading to praising Yahweh's name in the congregation of the righteous. Simple outline for the psalm, two parts, verses 1 to 4, forsaken. Verses 5 to 7, found. Go over that just one more time. Verses 1 to 4, forsaken. Verses 5 to 7, found. All right, we'll move to our observations here. Um, Psalm 142 was written by David. Uh, You can see the superscription there. Moscow of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Uh, So the superscription ascribes it to him. Um, There's no musical direction um, in this particular psalm, uh, and the occasion is given in the heading there in the superscription, um, when he was in the cave. Now, more specifically, it says this this was a prayer when he was in the cave. Um, Historically, there are two references to David in the cave. Um, one of those would be uh, in Adullam, uh, there in First Samuel chapter 22. The other one would be in uh, the wilderness of Engedi. Uh, that's in First Samuel chapter 24. Um, I've read some different cases trying to be made for each one. Uh, there's really not enough information. If you go and read those accounts and you look at this psalm, you're going to see some, some things, some, some verbal and, and thematic connections to both incidents. Um, and really, either way, uh, whichever occasion that it was, it places this psalm in the setting of David fleeing and being pursued. And of course, that very much dominates the context or the content of the psalm as well. So, Again, it's it's a little unclear which episode in the cave was it, um, but either way, the the message still uh, comes out in the psalm. It's um, Psalm 142. <clears throat> excuse me to categorize it. It is a lament psalm, and so we do have uh, the typical conventions of a lament psalm. In verses one and two, you have indirect prayer as a cry. Now. A lot of times in a lament psalm, it opens up with direct address prayer. You know, oh, Lord, hear my cry, something of that nature. 
Uh, in this case, it does not. It's indirect. Um, David says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Um, so verses 1 and 2 open up indirect prayer as a cry. Verses 3 and 4 then begin a direct address, and it's, it's a direct address of the crisis complaint. Um, verses 5 and 6 give the expression of confidence and petition for deliverance. And verse 7 can be seen as a commitment to pray. So very well fits in all of those standard conventions of a lament psalm. Also, you noticed in the superscription, it's called a Moscow. Um, and the precise meaning of that term is a little, uh, a little un, um, uncertain. But uh, it's understood that it's, that it's a wisdom or a teaching or an instruction psalm. Um, that that's the, the use of that word. It's actually the 13th and the final Moscow Psalm in the collection. So you had one in book t- one, which is Psalm 32. Uh, you had a few in book two, Psalms 42, 44, 45, 52, 53, 54, and 55. You had some in book three, uh, 74, 78, 88, and 89, you had none in book four, and you only have one in book five, and that's here in Psalm 142. So uh, 13 of those psalms, most of them are in, in the book two collection of the psalms. Uh, so this is the 13th and final one of those. Um, this psalm is also the fifth psalm of this final David group of psalms. That group runs from Psalm 138 to Psalm 145, and so this is the fifth um, of that group. And this is also the last psalm that has a biographical um, superscription. So it talks about a prayer uh, or of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. So you have this historical biographical reference, um, and it is the last psalm with those. And so there's really not all that many that have those sort of biographical references um, uh, I have a list of them written down here, but I'm not going to read all those. But there, are, there were several, but really when you think about 150 psalms, there's really not that many. All right, so the, um, the connections that Psalm 142 has, um, there's obvious connections with the David group of psalms that it's in. So we see uh, there's these themes of affliction and distress and opposition and exile and abandonment, and we can see all of those in this psalm. More particularly, over the last couple of psalms that we've looked at in this collection, there's been references to snares and traps and uh, you know people secretly laying traps and spreading nets and that sort of thing. Um, this psalm uh, also... Uh, as a lament, depicts David as a righteous sufferer, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later. But um, and there's one thing that would sort of distinguish it from the pre- some of the previous psalms we've seen. Is there's no imprecations in this psalm, so there's no prayers for judgment. There's no prayers for God's wrath on His enemies. The enemies are there. Um, they're sort of a little in the background. Um, the, there's, this psalm uh, has quite a really quite a focus uh, on David and on his experience and sort of the, the, the prayer and things that he's making. So um, it does have connections with other, other of the many lament psalms um, throughout the, the psalms, and particularly those of, of David's. Now the poetic features of Psalm 142 uh, would be there's a use of, a, of direct and indirect address. We already talked about that a little bit. 
Um, so you kind of have a, a, a little blend of that in the psalm. And the effect, when you think about the effect of indirect address, so David, like, just like verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Well, what, what effect does that have? So he's not crying. This is not David crying to the Lord directly. It's, it's indirect. And so it gives you the feel of reflection. It's like David is reflecting on his direct address cries. And so the indirect address sort of gives you that, that feeling of reflection and, and rumination as David is thinking over um, maybe some of his prayers and, and circumstances. Um, the psalm also does use some repetition, and you get, uh, you get some repetition, particularly early on, um, that's all about verbalizing. And so everything adds up to these prayers and these cries being just out loud. Um, and you also get some, some repetition that uh, makes reference to David as being isolated, um, being alone, uh, having none with him, having none to help him, that, that sort of thing. The psalm uses a little bit of imagery. Probably one of the main image, images that is used is, is the hunting um, type of imagery with snares and traps and, and that sort of thing uh, being, being pursued in that way like he's a, like he's a, 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 you know, a quarry. Um, and then you have the imagery used of prison, um, David referring to being in prison, um, which is a figure for being isolated and, and being without help. All right, so we want to um, work our way through the psalm. I'll go ahead and read this, seven verses. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So verses 1 and 2 give us this opening cry of distress. And we get this repetition of terms, I cried with my voice, my, with my voice made supplication, poured out my complaint, all that sort of thing. Um, and this repetition of terms, again, it, it's, it gives us an indication of, of crying aloud, it just audible voice. And, the, and the, really the effect that is accomplished with that is showing us the intensity of, of the prayer, um, that it's, it's not, you know, just... Um, some, you know, thought in, in David's mind um, while, you know, maybe he's doing something else. Um, and, and, you know, I, and, and I do that, and you probably do that as well. There are times when you pray, when you are doing other things, and you're just in your mind, you know, you're praying and you're asking God uh, or mentioning something, whatever that it may be. Uh, and, I, and I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, but the point is, is that he's in, he's in a place of, of complete distress, and so this, this prayer has his full attention. You're not really going to, you know, cry out this way 
uh, while you're multitasking. So it, it is an intense prayer. And, he, and this word for trouble that he uses here um, is a word that, that does indicate distress or of tribulation. Now, the word itself means um, a, a tight or a confined place. And it appears quite frequently in the earlier psalms, and particularly in psalms of lament um, of David, though they're not all lament psalms, but, but it does appear frequently. And the last three uses of this term are actually all found in this final David group in book 5. So we have Psalm 138, verse 7, here in Psalm 142 and verse 2, and then in Psalm 143 and verse number 11. And that's the last three uses of um, this term. Then we look at verse 3, where um, the word for overwhelmed that David uses, his spirit was overwhelmed, has the idea of being covered in darkness. That, that it gives us the idea that David is without sight, and he's without strength. And you notice that um, what, he, what he says, though, is that God knows um, the path. Uh, so he, he can't see, and he doesn't have strength, but he's acknowledging that God does see, and, and God does know his way. And then he makes reference to this hiding of a snare, at which um, he's being hunted. And so it is the work of plotting and conspiring. And so we've seen this recently in Psalm 140 and verse 5, Psalm 141, verses 9 and 10. And in verse 4, then, David really uh, describes isolation. And he's looked to his right hand, and there's, there's no one there, and, and refuge has failed him, and no, there's no one there to care for him. Um, now, the word for refuge that's, that's used here, it's, there, there's no place of escape from danger. Um, reinforced by the idea that there's none to help and, and none to even care. Um, and really, this verse contributes, again, to that exile theme. Um, there's the idea of, of abandonment and, and being forsaken, being alone with no other and, and with no help and just subject to um, what the enemy is um, doing to him and, and trying to um, flee from them and hide from them. And then in verse 5, we get the real refuge. So he, he cried unto the Lord, he said, Thou art my refuge. And really this is the turning point of the psalm. Um, once it, it sort of goes on more of an upward trek, really, once you go from here to the end. Um, he says that Yahweh is his refuge. Now, this is a different word for refuge than what was in the previous verse. And the word here is, is the word that, that more typically we expect um, of refuge. It's that shelter. It's that hiding place. And it's a word that is used quite frequently in the Psalms, and we've noticed it numerous times. Um, it's usually in some sort of covenantal context. And so all the way back to Psalm 14 and verse 6 and Psalm 46 and verse 1 and Psalm 61 and verse 3 and Psalm 62 verses 7 and 8 and on and on and on. It's used a lot in the Psalms. But this is actually the only occurrence of this word in the book 5 collection um, of the Psalms that we are, we are currently in. Um, he speaks also of not only is the Lord his refuge, but he says, the Lord is my portion. And that word for portion means allotment or inheritance. It, it, it refers particularly to territory, to land. Um, 
And it was a, it's the word that's used um, in the Old Covenant for the priests and the Levites because they had no tribal inheritance of land among Israel. And so it was said that the Lord would be their portion. So all the other tribes, their portion was land that got divided among the families of the tribes. And for the priests and the Levites, their portion was not land. Their portion was the Lord. And so it's the same term that's used here. Um, You can see that in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verse number 9. But there's also another usage outside of that um, that I think is more relevant um, to the way that David is using this here. And this is the confession of Jeremiah in exile in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 24. And he's saying, the Lord is my portion. And what Jeremiah is obviously saying, um, you know, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. um, The southern kingdom has been carried away into captivity. They don't possess their land. They don't possess their portion anymore. And so Jeremiah essentially is making a confession that, that, he, he's exiled. He has nothing else other than God. And so I think that is more, uh, more relevant to what, to what David is, ex- is expressing here as well. Uh, because remember, even when you think about David in the cave and, and so on, you know, he's fleeing. He's, he's being pursued. And, uh, he's, he, even, you know, he goes outside of Israel sometime during that time you know, and is among the Philistines and, and, and various things that's going on with David. And so this, this fits right in with this exile theme. Uh, and we can see this word used again in Psalm 16 and verse 5 and Psalm 73 and verse number 26. But David refers to God not only as his portion, but his portion in the land of the living, um, which phrase is again referring to a place of inheritance. And it's uh, what David is expressing here is the hope of not being cut off. So the, the nation of Israel has this promise, these descendants from Jacob has this promise of land that it was made to Abraham, to Isaac, and, and to Jacob. Um, but but the, the threat um, to those unbelieving um, among Israel is being cut off. In other words, not inheriting that inheritance, but being cut off from it. And so this is, this is the hope that David has of not being cut off. Um, he's, God is his portion in the land of the living. Um, he, he's not going to be disinherited. Um, he's, you know, he's going to um, come into um, that allotment, that fulfillment of God's covenant promises. Um, in verse 6, we see the prayer for deliverance. And David refers to being brought very low. And this term... Um, only occurs three times in the Psalms, Psalm 79 and verse 8, Psalm 116 and verse 6, and right here. Um, it's, it's a term that describes the depths of affliction in humiliation of weakness. It's, it's almost, it's almost has the idea that you, you can't go any lower. You can't be brought down, you know, anymore. You can't be humbled anymore. You can't be um, further oppressed and and pressed in affliction anymore. And so he's seeking uh, rescue from this particular condition. And the word for persecutors that he uses here um, 
has the idea of, of, of hunting, uh, those that are, are pursuing, not, uh, not as much hunting as in you know, just hunting for game, but, but more of, of pursuing with evil intentions. It's, it's, it's pursuing um, with the goal and the, and the motive of doing harm. Um, and of course, David confesses his weakness. They are stronger than I. In other words, he's not able to deliver himself. And in verse 7 that ends the psalm, ends this psalm on praise. Um, again, this reference to prison uh, is most likely a more figurative reference. Um, obviously, the, literally the term yes means prison, being locked up um, uh, in, in a place of no help. But notice that deliverance from this prison deliverance from this condition, this tight place of trouble, will result in praise. And this praising of his name, praising of Yahweh's name, um, indicates that this deliverance is in fulfillment of covenant promises. So his name is praised because his, his name has been um, proved true, proved trustworthy. Again, when God um, makes a covenant, he swears upon his own name. His name is the security of the covenant. And so um, it is honored. Um, his, his name has been honored. It's been magnified. It's been um, exalted because of his faithfulness um, to his promises. But it also results in the praise of the community of the righteous. He speaks of being compassed about, being completely surrounded um, by the righteous. Now, the word for compass about that is used here is a word that can refer to crown. And it would certainly be tempting to take it that way. Um, but, but probably not the, the, the intention here. It can just mean to be surrounded um, though usually when it's used that way, it's actually spoken of enemies and being surrounded and more like being besieged. Um, but nevertheless, I, don't, I think it might be probably stretching too far to try to, to, try to make it crown right here in this, in this context. Um, he speaks of the Lord dealing bountifully. This is, the, this is the idea of rich reward. And so if we, if we contrast this with the rest of the psalm, in the rest of the psalm we see humiliation, we see weakness, we see isolation. Um, and by the end of this psalm we see deliverance, it leads to praise and the community of the righteous and, and rich reward. Um, so obviously these are, this, is, this is looking forward to fulfillment, um, God uh, keeping his promises and delivering uh, David and blessing him in all the ways that he has promised to do. All right, we'll go to interpretation. So Psalm 142, when we sort of just look at it on the face of it, it obviously teaches the care and the presence of the Lord for those who trust in him. You know, David has said there's no man on my right hand. There's no man to care, and there is no refuge. And then he turns and says that Yahweh is his refuge and his portion. So this psalm is dominated by the notes of isolation, uh, being alone, none to help, and, and, that, would, and that would include 
uh, sort of the complementary um, themes of just being weak and unable to deliver himself. And the enemy is portrayed in this psalm as being very active, pursuing the righteous with energy and with the strength to afflict. And though the enemy is stronger than David, they're not stronger than the Lord in whom he trusts. And so um, David is, essentially confesses that even when he can't see, even when he's overwhelmed in darkness and he has no strength to deliver himself, but he knows that God knows his way um, and, and he knows that he will be delivered. And so we do, we do see that, that the Lord, um, the Lord knows and the Lord cares and the Lord's presence is with those who trust in him, even if, even if they are in such a desperate and distressed condition as what David is describing. And when you look at the language that David is, is using to describe his trouble, you notice it's all very... Um, it's all very extreme sort of sort of language, uh, hyperbolic, I guess you'd say, um, sort of language. Well, the messianic hope of this psalm is actually seen through the resolution of it, um, which essentially, you know, you have most of the psalm, which is taken up with um, the crisis and the distress, and then then there's the deliverance that leads to praise, and so it, it's it's in this resolution of this psalm that we really see the messianic hope coming through. So this, this psalm is, as I talked about earlier, it is a lament psalm, and so there's a crisis and there's an expectation of, of being heard and, and all those sort of things. But there's no imprecations and there's no penitential confession. So what does that do for the psalm? Well, again, being no imprecations... Um, the focus in the psalm is not really on the enemies. It's, it's not really on um, judgment coming. It, it, the focus on the psalm is really m- more of David being delivered, of David being rescued, and of the rich reward um, that he comes to. And the fact that, there, that it's not a penitential confession means that he is a righteous sufferer. He, he's not, uh, we've seen some of those penitential laments, and that is when uh, the writer of the psalm, be it David or, or, or someone else, the, the writer of the psalm um, has a crisis but also confesses that essentially it's my sin that has brought me into this crisis. Um, so in this case, we don't have the penitential confession, so that makes the, the lamenter to be a righteous sufferer. And, and we've seen that numerous times um, in the psalms. And so David is, pl- is in the place of the righteous sufferer. And that's not an expression trying to say, well, David was sinless or anything like that. Um, but just saying in, in this psalm, he's, he's being hunted and pursued not because of, of any sin of his own. Um, you know, he, when, he, when he prays uh, the, in uh, Psalm 51, you know, and you have sort of in the background, his, you know, his sin with Bathsheba and with Uriah and, and all that sort of thing. Well, the, the trouble and the distress that David was in, he knew full well that he was in that trouble because of his own sin. But, but this isn't the case here. Um, he, he's actually in this trouble because he is the Lord's anointed. That's why he's in this trouble. And so he's, he's praying as the righteous sufferer. And the deliverance, when the deliverance comes, well, it doesn't just bring relief to David um, or just maybe put him in a, in, in a place of promotion or a better place. 
But when he is delivered, it actually leads to communal or universal praise. And, and we've seen that thematically in the Psalms a number of times. So you think of, of uh, and these are two in particular um, very great messianic psalms, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, you recall, is the, you know, starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the, it's the psalm that um, prophesies of the crucifixion um, of Jesus Christ in, in such descriptive um, terms. So very, very messianic. Well, the deliverance, but you get to the end of Psalm 22, the deliverance in Psalm 22 results in this communal, universal-type praise. That's verses 27 and 28 there. Psalm 69, another, another great messianic psalm, and same thing. The deliverance leads, and, and Psalm 69 even you know, um, emphasizes the righteous sufferer. And verses 34 to 36, and you get this communal, this communal praise, this deliverance. Um, we see this same uh, theme coming out in Psalm 109 and, and verse number 30. So certainly we see that in this psalm. And it also goes right along with uh, really the theme of book 5, um, which, which the theme of book 5 of the psalms is the future end of the exile by the gathering of Israel to the land and the coming of the kingdom resulting in universal praise. Um, and that was... That was how we actually started book five. It's from back in Psalm 107 when we talked about that. And so this psalm fits right in there. So we, we look at this situation in this psalm then, and we see that it's the deliverance of God's anointed that leads to praise in the congregation of the righteous. And so then we, we read this psalm as the prayer of Christ, the greater David. And we think about how that David here has prefigured the Messiah's suffering and his humiliation. And so just one place um, that highlights this well, and you're going to notice some of the same terminology, but Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, speaking of the servant of Yahweh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And you think here about how David prays, how his persecutors, those that are hunting and pursuing him to destroy him, they're stronger than I, David says. And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And you could also go on reading in, in Isaiah 53, and when you get to the end there, what happens? Well, Yahweh deals bountifully with his servant because he gets rich reward after he has been um, executed and buried and then obviously resurrected. All right, um, let's go to application. It is stuck with one main application here. Um, so understanding Psalm 142 helps us understand that everyone who trusts in the Lord is never truly alone. David obviously 
God had made a very particular covenant with David. And David has received promises through that covenant that's not made to us. It's not made to, to anyone else. They were made to him, and they're going to be fulfilled in, in the way that, that God has said. But at the same time, David is one who has taken refuge in the Lord. So again, we can read such a psalm, and we can understand while, yes, there are things, I'm not the Lord's anointed, you're not the Lord's anointed, um, David was the Lord's anointed, and that was to prefigure his greater son that he had promised, who is the anointed. So yes, there are things that we can look at, and we can say, well, you know, my, there's things about me and things about David that don't really um, go together, and that's absolutely true, but... At the same time, David prays this as one who has taken refuge in the Lord. It's even in, in this prayer. And so, all those, everyone who has trusted in the Lord have taken refuge in him, are in that covenant relationship with him. And so, while we do see in a little more general way in the psalm, that God's care and God's, God's presence is, is always there for those who trust in him. So, like David, though, we certainly experience feelings of aloneness, feelings of being isolated and having no help and having none to care. And, you know, we do have those kind of experiences. And again, this is a psalm that actually focuses a lot um, on David's experiences and, as, and sort of his processing of all those things. So ideas of entrapment and abandonment and weakness and isolation, and we certainly go through all of those kind of things. And so this psalm does help us understand that when we trust in the Lord, we're never truly alone. No matter how isolated we may feel, we're never truly alone. David says he's overwhelmed with darkness. He can't see and he has no strength and he can't be pushed any lower. Um, but yet he says what? He says God knows his way. And so again, we can relate. God, God does know our way even when we don't. And, you know, there's probably sometimes in your life you've probably thought, I, you know, I wish that, you know, that next step was just, you know, opened up and big pointing signs and flashing neon and everything else, go this way. Um, if you haven't felt that way, well, I don't, I mean, that's good, I guess. Um, I certainly have. There's been times and I've thought, you know, Lord, could you just, you know, do, do something here? But, you know, David says he's overwhelmed with darkness and he can't see. He says, but God knows the way. God, God knows the way. And we have promises like, Romans eight twenty eight and such. So even when we are covered in darkness and we cannot see and we feel cut off and we feel isolated and we feel without help and without care, um, we know that's actually not true. For everyone that, that has taken refuge in the Lord, he is present, uh, he is help, and, and, and he, he will fulfill all of his promises. And though we don't have David, all the promises God made to David are not made directly to us, but still yet we benefit from them. Um, because we do have promises. Um, we go back to the promises to Abraham and, and, and promises in the new covenant and being grafted in and all those things. And yes, we, we do have promises, and, and all of that is all part of God's redemptive purpose. And so it benefits us that God keeps his promises to David um, as well. All right. All right.